and it is episode 57 of the Shooting 2 podcast. Not like always, I am not joined by my co-host, Mr. Andrew Rossi, but instead, today is our Shooting 2 and 1 edition of the podcast. Mr. Andrew, or should I say, Sir Andrew, uh, is in London gallivanting around uh, with his with his beautiful wife, Teresa, enjoying their time off in the UK. And yes, Andrew, the UK does include Northern Ireland, uh, which I had to correct you on. But you know, enjoy your time off. I will be here holding down the fort for myself and our Swishers. So a lot to get into around Game 5. Uh, we're going to put that on ice for a second. And in classic Shooting 2 fashion, uh, I wanted to start with not necessarily a keeping us honest, but as I look at myself in the video recording, awkwardly uh, standing here in my mother-in-law's basement uh, <laughs> recording this episode, I first wanted to just start with um, a recap of the last episode where we had Dana Knopps, DK from One Star Recruits Podcast. And in general, I want us to do a better job of giving you guys the feedback you swishers are actually giving us uh, in between episodes. So our last episode, we talked about, you know, ideas to improve foods and our buddy Rip, uh, the other co-host of the One Star Recruits said, eliminate hard shell tacos. If you want to see his exact statement, you know, DK reads it uh, verbatim uh, in our, on our last Instagram reel. So we did put it up to a vote. The fans have spoken and believe it or not, I thought there would be more uh, more pushback on getting rid of hot tacos. But 45% of you said, yes. Let's get rid of hard shell tacos altogether. Uh, even with the Taco Bell take, and we talked about the double decker taco, our one of our most loyal listeners, my brother in law, Aaron, said, What about the Gordita Crunch? The Gordita Crunch does not happen without a crunchy taco. And I just went in like a Taco Bell like tailspin with all of your feedback coming <laughs> coming into us. Um, DK mentioned the the quesadillas from Taco Bell. I don't know what's in that like orange kind of Baja sauce, or I don't know what you want to call it. That stuff is crack. It's incredible. Also, Taco Bell is the only place where I'm comfortable eating whatever the fuck nacho cheese is. Whatever nacho cheese is, just, just keep it going. Uh, but something about Taco Bell always just have a, a special place in, in our hearts <laughs> here on the Shooting 2 Podcast, and I'm sure many of you other ones. And uh, the last thing I'll mention about, about, about T. Bell fourth meal, DK mentioned uh, the Mount Rushmore of Taco Bell items. Mexican pizza definitely on there. For me, Chalupa Supreme. Something about the sour cream and the shredded cheese and Chalupa Supreme is just fantastic. And and the fire sauce is is something that I wish I could just have in like a, a pump, a pump of fire sauce at my house at all times. The Diablo is like a little too much. It's almost a little too like watery too, because they probably have to water it down because it just burns your guts up. But I'm a big fan of the fire sauce. Hot is just not nearly enough for me. So that was one of the ideas. The other ideas that were floating around, DK mentioned bacon is unsealable, that we need a better solution for sealing bacon back up, which is, we got a lot of positive feedback on, on that statement. And for those of you that didn't listen to that episode, it's essentially when you open a pack of bacon, it's impossible to reseal it. Like it's sealed so tight. And then you have to put in like a Tupperware or a Ziploc. And he himself kept himself honest and said, what about bacon jam? I think bacon jam is the answer to both resealable bacon or not being resealable, 
as well as my other one, which was square bagels. So bagel sandwiches, we want bacon and the strips like we want, maybe won't fit in that bagel sandwich. Just use bacon jam. Just use some bacon jam on your square or circular bagel to solve the bacon problem. Also solves the reusable package problem. <laughs> so we had a great time with that. And, and lastly, the last piece of feedback that I personally got a lot of uh, is the Mary Fuck Kill waffle French toast pancake. So the two takes on, on, on that, that we communicated to you Swishers was Mary French toast. There's, there's a mixed review there of like, do you marry French toast or do you fuck French toast? Uh, or do you, <laughs> or do you, do you, everyone agreed though, you kill pancakes. No one is killing waffles and no one is killing French toast. Uh, but who do you marry between French toast and waffles? Uh, you know, for me, I didn't answer on the pod, but I think my answer is waffles. French toast is just too decadent. It's too decadent of an item to just, to just marry. It's going to lose its luster if you just wake up, you know, turn, wake up, wake up in the morning, open your eyes, turn to your right, just stare French toast in the face every day. It's just, it's going to lose its luster and appeal. So I'm, I'm going with Andrew there and I'm going to marry the waffle, um, not, not French toast. So on to game five, game five of the NBA finals, Golden State Warriors, Boston Celtics. You know me, Swishers. Like I'm always going to come into a game, one, understanding what the line is, and two, understanding why the line is what it is. So Vegas loved, and when I say Vegas, I mean the Sharks in Vegas, we're betting Boston all the way here. I think it was a four-point spread. I think every game in the series has been three or four uh, to the home team. Boston comes into this game, and Vegas is riding them, meaning the Sharks are riding them, because they are... The, where quote unquote the smart money is, um, athletically they they own the Warriors. And there's no debating that the, the games the Warriors have won up until Game Five have been games where they just shot the ball extremely well, and, and to a certain extent, everyone knew that's what this series was going to be. It was going to be can the Warriors just keep making buckets, knowing that they had Robert the Celtics have Robert Williams and Al Horford protecting the paint, and is that going to be enough to win four games? So I want to just take a step back and just give the Swishers an update. The Warriors win the game, right? The first half, Warriors get a big 16. Third quarter, Celtics come roaring back. I think they're up by four at some point, six at some point. But the fact of the matter is they blew their load too early. They, they were just out of gas in the fourth quarter. Jump shots were flat. They were taking too many threes. They were all short. Offensive rebounding went out the window. And Warriors pull away in the fourth at home at Chase Center in classic Warriors fashion. Now, it just got me kind of to, well, again, why don't you take a step back and just thinking about not just the game, but just thinking about what, what, what is kind of representative of how the series has gone and also representative from a non-tactical level of the Celtics team and the Warriors team. And for me, it all comes back to one thing. <laughs> and you, no matter who you are, where you are listening to this, or what you do for a living, one thing is almost always true. To get good at anything, to be good at 
anything and more specifically to really succeed at that something. It takes time. It takes time to try to climb up the mountaintop and get, you know, right there near the end and not make it. And to learn from the mistakes of, well, well, why didn't I make it, right? Or why didn't we make it in the context of a team sport? And, you know, again, me specifically in my own career and likely you as you listen to this in your own career, whatever your craft is, it just takes time to get good. And when I watch the Celtics and when I watch the Warriors, it seems like every time it's a, uh, the game goes to a, hey, we need to play really good right now kind of time. The Warriors look themselves in the mirror and say, well, well, shit, like we played like either shit this whole game or it's been a battle up in this point, but we've been here before and we know what to do. And we're going to go out there and do it no matter how we've ended up in this place. We're going to figure it out. And I think back to first quarter of a game five and keep in mind that stat, I think it's 70 plus percent of teams that win you know, game five in a two-two best of seven series go on to win the series. And I think if it's that that team's the home team, that percentage is even higher. Think about the first quarter of game five, and think about the fourth quarter of game five. It was, hey, we need to show up and come out strong. Draymond, for all of his uh, inefficiencies and all the shortcomings in the series, comes out and drops eight points in the first quarter. Boom, hits his over. I think he was at seven seven and a half points. Boom, hits it immediately. Celtics come roaring back in the third. Warriors open the fourth. And, oh, look who it is, a Jordan Poole. The Warriors don't play young players that don't have experience as much in the playoffs. Steve Kerr, the championship teams that he's been on, the Spurs, you know, <laughs> the, the Bulls, those, all those teams are veterans. There was not a lot of, hey, young guy, get in there. We're going to carry us to a title. And then on the flip side, you see the Celtics, and they are doing just that. Not only do they have like not a lot of experience, but even just within the game within the game, they have people that lack experience. When they run cold, it is hard to watch, you know. And while the games there are close, close stretches in these finals, most of the games are pretty boring, right? Either the Warriors have just shot themselves out of it, or the Celtics are just gone on one of their but seemingly like signature cold streaks. And when the Celtics are in one of those streaks, you can kind of see the wheels falling off. Like there's no rhythm. And going back to the experience point I had, Marcus Smart is not a point guard. He does not have experience playing point guard. And when you're down on the road in a hostile environment in game five, you need someone like a CP3, like a Steph Curry, like all of these elite point guards that are in the league to just say, everybody calm the fuck down. Let's get into our set and let's get a bucket and stop the bleeding. And the Celtics just don't have that experience as a team. They don't have that experience on at a point guard level. And Ima Doka, God bless him, but he doesn't have that experience as a coach either. And I think... When I look at these finals, when I look back on these finals, it's all just going to come down to that. Being good takes experience. Being good at anything, being great, takes even more experience and takes failure. So, uh, you know, I, I said Warriors will have this, have this series in hand in seven games. 
I think Andrew uh, said six, you know, he, he may be right. I, I don't see how Boston recovers from that loss. I think that was a, we're just better than you. And we've been here before and you guys don't have the upper hand anymore. Uh, I think letting game four slip away was Boston's greatest mistake. Um, so that's where we are. That's where we are. The Warriors are up three to two. And, and I want to take a step back and, <laughs> and just think about uh, the one one individual whose record of 270 plus games of the three pointer was uh, unceremoniously ended in a, in a win, in a win. <laughs> and, and if you're the Celtics, you have to be shitting yourself because Steph Curry played like absolute trash. 0 for 9 for 3. The streak of one consecutive made 3. 270 plus games is over. Like, look, no one's going to touch that record ever again. So Steph, rest easy tonight. Sleep easy. That record is intact. The greatest shooter of all time. But he plays like shit and the Warriors win. I Do I think that happens again? No. But in the playoffs and the finals, you only need one of those. Steph Curry can afford to have one one game where he doesn't show up. And look, all they need is three other ones where he wins, shows up and they win. Back to Steph. He is the definition of a franchise player. And when I think about franchise players across all sports, I think about the NFL and how a franchise essentially just like hitches their wagon to a quarterback and just says, Hey, you're going to be our guy for the next decade. And if those that don't have a quarterback for the next decade, they're looking for that guy to hitch a wagon to for the next decade. And in this era of player mobility with LeBron going to Miami and KD and Harden and all these players just kind of switching teams constantly. And, you know, kind of not only say holding franchises hostage, but again, just dictating how the, that specific team goes for the length of their respective contract, whether that be three, four, five years. Steph is the franchise NFL quarterback, but in the NBA, uh, he, the Warriors go as he goes and he, Jim Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, the coaching staff, Mike Brown, et cetera. Plus the players, they just go in the same direction. Almost just like a herd of buffalo or school of fish. Like they know where they're going. And yeah, they're kind of following one person, but they're really just following each other. And they move as a group and they move as a team towards that, that kind of goal. So he's just the ultimate franchise player, the ultimate teammate. I mean, he couldn't even be down on himself for, you know, he didn't get the record. They showed him on the sidelines and he's laughing. He, he's proud to see his team out there. Jordan, Jordan Poole hitting, you know, buzzer beating threes on, on a regular basis. Um, laughing it up and yucking it up on the sideline after a game five victory where he played like trash with his coach, Steve Kerr, who took him out. You know, he saw a chance to hit one. Steve Kerr took him out. Um, and then it just, I, I had to go down like the rabbit hole of how many, like how many Hall of Famers are out there that never switch teams, right? That played for the same team their entire career. And uh, because I am lackluster at uh, performing research and we don't have a team here at the Shooting 2 podcast, no matter how much it seems like we do, uh, <laughs> I wanted to just list 10, 10 names. And if you don't know these names, you're, you're a basketball family. One, it's impossible. You will know all these people. Isaiah Thomas, Dirk, Dr. J. Jerry West, John Havlicek, Timmy D, Tim Duncan, the big fundamental, Bill Russell, 11 rings, Larry Legend, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Kobe, 
what do all those players have in common? Not only were they on the same team their entire career and are enshrined in the Hall of Fame, they're all champions. Every single one of those individuals that I named are champs. And I won't go through the entire list again, but every one of those teams faced adversity at some time in their life, in their career. Um, and they had to get over it and to come back stronger, whether that was through their own like basketball prowess, whether their organization or team had to help them build around themselves. Each of those players had to do some, some version of both of those things to get back to the finals and claim the throne and add, add one name to that list. That's Steph Curry. Uh, that that's Steph Curry. He he is the ultimate player, teammate, franchise player. Again, he he is the NFL decade-long franchise quarterback example. But in his tenure with the Golden State Warriors, it's uh it's something special. So so where do we go from here in the NBA? You know, coming coming to a close here. We you know probably won't have an episode until we find out who the champion is. So I wanted to just quickly recap this season and not, not like, Hey, let's talk about all the teams who won and what the, all that stuff. But it was just a great year in the NBA. Uh, the one seeds flamed out uh, defense reigned Supreme again in the playoffs. Team basketball is the real winner uh, in, in this year and in, in this postseason, And that's how I will remember this year. It's been a team basketball, team-oriented, not one player carrying an entire franchise to the promised land. I'll always remember KD and Kyrie getting swept <laughs> by the Celtics, whether they win the title or not, getting swept in the first round, the supposed super team. I'll remember Joel Embiid and James Harden, and even you know Tyrese Maxey not being enough of a team, enough help to get over, over the line. I remember Giannis without Middleton, without Holiday, who was kind of shut down there against the Celtics, but the, with the Celtics defense not being enough. And when you look at the Warriors, <laughs> and they, they said it at nauseum in the series, name the top ten, name the top five players in the series. I think one is Steph Curry, two, three, four, five might be on the Celtics. So, what does that mean? It's just it's just the era of the organization of the team. And what I believe, whoever wins in this series, it's going to be the the, the champion this year will, will be the ultimate team. So that's my that's my take on on this series. And that's all I have for you guys for this first, maybe only we'll see. Maybe we can get Andrew to do one of these. Maybe I'll have to do this again uh, of the shooting two and one edition podcast for the first time ever. So. We'll see you Swishers on the flip side. Make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, make sure to tell your friends and hope you guys are liking our videos on the reels, by the way, and on Twitter and on TikTok. So make sure you're referring us, make sure you're liking those photos and videos uh, and give us some feedback. We're going to make sure we are doing a better job of giving your own feedback, feedback and bringing it back on the show because you guys are the reason that we do this. So you guys have a good night. Celtics, Warriors, best of luck. I like the Warriors. Hey. Hey.